Welcome to Chicago Back in the Day, a podcast about memories of Chicago back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, Chicago traditions like sports, music, people, and food. My name is Pete, and I grew up on the northwest side of Chicago. This is a Chicago-based Back in the Day episode with special guest, music booking legend extraordinaire, Brad Altman. We worked back together in the day. You're going to catch up on some memories, see who can bullshit more. But if you have any ideas for show or topic, please feel free to reach out to Pete at backinaday.blog and please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook. Been a long time since I did one of these, man. Uh, I only do it for special people like uh, Brad Altman. Brad, how the fuck are you, man? Man, I'm fantastic. I'm uh, living a good life out here in Palm Springs area in California and in Enjoying the beautiful weather, and as much as I miss Chicago, yeah, and miss home, man, it's great out here. So I'm, I'm doing. Real, I just turned sixty. So. Oh, happy birthday, Bradley! Thank you, thank you. I think you remember a couple of my old birthday parties on Halloween. Uh, possibility, <laughs> possibility. You don't, you don't look a day over fifty nine, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> Same to you. <laughs> although i know you're younger than i am oh uh, uh, two tree two tree years two tree so so, so brad you know th- this podcast i do a couple episodes here and there it's hard to get people to talk about music back in the day we had zelenko on we had yurki on duff's too busy george came on uh and i've been trying to get you for a long time because man in the late 80s we were part of the beginning of this shit, man. It's, it's like I, 88, 89, I got out of school, 88, 89 from Southern. I would come up and work the breaks and then you'd be managing the bar and, you know, I, I'd be coming in and out. I'm trying to remember who was there at the time at the cubby bear was, was Susie Miller there at the time uh, of lounge X fame? No, no, she's gone. Help me no, out. She, no, no. There had been there was a a time period in the early eighties when Susie had done some stuff, you know, in that small corner of the bar that was <laughs> the music. You know, at the time that was the music bar. And yeah. and she did some incredible stuff before she left to uh to open up her own bar. Yeah. But but there was quite a number of years of break where there was no live music, I mean, zero at Cubby Bear. So, uh, you know, and I had, when I got hired there, I had absolutely no idea that we would ever do music or it was never discussed. It was never, you know, a passion of mine that I wanted to do it or, you know, even a thought in my head. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I didn't get the job because I had a, you know, degree in music or from Mather Mather high school, from Mather high school. Right. I didn't have a degree, you know, I got the job. Frankly, I got the job because I was a good basketball player. That's right. And George needed somebody to play on the team with his brothers, with Angelo and Tony, the Greek league. Uh, It wasn't the Greek league at that time. At first, at first it was Gill park. Yeah. And then I think it was Margate Park and a few other places. But 
he need you know they needed a I don't want to say ringer, but yeah. I mean yeah. they needed a guy that could score. Okay. You know, and and so he brought me in, and I said, "Look, you know, hey, I'd love to play. I need a job." Right. And what, I need what a year, place. To- what year? What year was this? 87, 88? 86. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'd been there a couple of years before you came. Okay. Before you, gra- before you graduated. So, you know, we really had, we had stumbled around trying to figure out what we were going to do with the bar beyond, listen, it was obviously a very successful after Cubs game bar. And, you know, we relished that. That was fantastic. And the Cubs had started to get good again. So people were starting, they're starting to call it Wrigleyville. It wasn't being called East East Lakeview anymore. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like it was when I was growing up and it was a rough neighborhood. People don't realize that. People don't realize that. I used to walk, uh, you know, two and a half miles to, to Wrigley as a kid and go to the games And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was dicey. It was dicey. There was a lot of gangs. The Gaylords were a big gang back then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so when I took that job, I mean, it was like, I, I needed a place to work and I needed a place to live. And he provided me with both and, never in a million years would I have dreamed that it was going to turn into what it turned into because it was nothing like that at the time. Right. Well, God bless George. We'll just say that now for mentoring us and dealing with our dumb young asses and, and uh, guiding us through that. I mean, I mean, he and Tony. Yeah. We're both like older brothers to me and uh, you know, anything good that happened in my life, only happened because of what those guys did for me back then. I really don't know what direction I would have gone and probably not a good one. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Had it not, had it not been for them. So the, Jew, the Jewish gangbanger. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, now, you, know, you, 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 ever, you ever heard of Bugsy Siegel? Yeah. <laughs> Myra Lansky. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. I was only kidding. I was only kidding. <laughs> so, so did you have a, any part of the uh the the punk bands that from jam that was getting put in there at the time? No, that was strictly a rental. Okay. It was strictly, you know, they made a deal with George and uh and what they they didn't call them punk bands, they called them uh uh Skinheads, uh speed metal, uh Yeah, but that's what it was. Hardcore yeah. they called. It. They yeah, called yeah. it hardcore. So that was a once every couple months Sunday thing with underage in there, you know. Oh God, that's right. It was all ages, and it was a. Uh... So one of my jobs when I first got there, besides, you know, doing security and you know helping manage the bar, was being on the stage during those shows. Stage divers the... <laughs> to deal with the stage divers. Oh my God. So yeah. Kill the kill the bouncer. And they would spit on you. Oh, they'd spit on you. They'd, oh, it was horrible. Oh, it was horrible. So, you know, that was my first experience with music, if you want to call it music. Yeah. With music at the Cubby Bear. And that was really all that was going on there besides 
the games. Yeah. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have food. We didn't have any of the, we didn't have any of those other rooms. (laughs) You know, I mean, this, this predates all that stuff. I mean, it was, and, and George and I would walk around the neighborhood and we talk about what else could we do to drive business? Yeah. into the, like you know it's january and we're walking down addison and we're you know walking between sports corner and cubby bear trying to figure out like man what can we do so we're not completely empty in the winter because you know you make all your money during baseball season and then you try to survive right. until until the next opening day and one day we're walking down the street and he said you know I think we should go ahead and we should go back and try live music. And I said, great. Who's going to book the shows? He goes, you're going to book them. (laughs) And I'm like, you're out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, (laughs) now I'd always been a music lover and, you know, and, and I think I know, you know, more knew more about music than the average person, but booking music, zero absolute zero i mean it was was a crazy idea so he goes ah you'll figure it out it's you know i got confidence in you here's the first band skanking lizard right you're like right he goes ah call call alan and call uh you know (laughs) (laughs) you know and i and, and obviously hawk played basketball with us he was always on those basketball teams. So, you know, we had Hawk and, and Tony and, and Angela. Anyway, and so, in other words, it's going to be fine until you mess it up. Until you lose money. Until <laughs> you lose money on the first show. Yeah. And then we're never doing it again. It's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault, you dummy. You know, I told hey, you. I, I told you. I told you <laughs> fucking guys. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I hope George lives to be 300, but when he's on his tombstone, it's to say, I told you fucking guys. You guys. Malacas. Yeah. You know, and so, if we had a bad you know, if we had a bad night, his dad would come over and swear at oh. me Greek. <laughs> <laughs> You're drinking too much Diet Coke. Right. You're drinking too- Go buy your own Diet Coke. <laughs> so, so yeah. Brad, the music, what what started first? Because you're one of the first guys to bring in the satellites and the Cleveland uh, backers, the Green Bay uh, backers and all that. When did that come into play? Later. Yeah. Because okay. that came in after he bought the, the building from the, and the parking lot next door the annex the annex uh standard standard condenser building i think it was standard condenser building and which he'd been after for years he'd worked this guy i mean like (laughs) you never seen somebody work somebody like he'd worked this guy okay and he and he eventually got the guy to it was it was great it was fantastic now what are we going to do with it yeah okay We've got this building. What are we? You can't. You obviously can't. It's Cub game. It's a no-brainer. Okay. Yeah. 
you can put private parties in. You can, you know, you can take on all these extra people during your peak times. No problem there. Okay, but the rest of the year, what do you do? Well, I saw that there were a couple of places that were doing things with teams that fans that so many people are transplanted to Chicago. Right, okay? right, 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 right. So let's say from, you know, Pittsburgh or from Green Bay or, or Wisconsin or from wherever. And they come here. This is where they get their first job. Okay. And I thought if we show, if we got in touch with like the, the head of the Packer backers or the head of the mm-hmm. Cleveland Browns or Steelers yeah. fan clubs right, that are based here in Chicago, we could make a deal with them to come out and watch the games at our place exclusively where we'd become, because here's the thing you could go. It'd have been great to say, we're going to open up on Sunday and we're going to show the bears game and 300 people are going to come out and watch the game. No, they're not. Right. They can watch it. At, they can watch it at home or one of 75,000 other bars in Chicago that are showing the bears. But if we have a satellite and we're the only ones showing the green Bay Packers or we're the exclusive place to see them and we have their team endorsement, such and such, this could be a niche for us. And listen, we don't need small niches. This right. is a huge building. We got to think big. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we worked with two or three or four fan bases. And, you know, we'd fill the place on a Sunday back. But, but you'd also, you'd have to get all those fucking satellites, all those TVs in there, yeah. rely on a, a drunk high DJ to show up in the morning to... <laughs> To tune everything in, or you had, hey, what channel is the Green Bay game on? Oh my God. You know, people think now with DirecTV and with, you know, with how simple satellites are and how advanced things are. Back then, it was a nightmare. You (laughs) You had to have a specific satellite dish on the roof for each group of TVs. So, first, you had the guy coming out setting the thing up. And the guy, you know, doesn't speak a language i'm familiar with <laughs> right. yeah i have no idea what he's talking about yeah. ah you know you just hit this and this and you know it's gonna be fine it's gonna and be here fine. and here's your 12 remotes here's your 12 remotes it's gonna be fine you know you're gonna and oh my god i t- you'd wake up in a cold sweat on sunday morning thinking this is gonna be the sunday it all goes wrong <laughs> and we're gonna and these 700 people are going to want to kill me because they can't watch their game, you know? So, yeah, it was, listen, everything's great in theory, you know? And then when you, <laughs> and then, and then, then you get there and you're like, okay, I got to actually, you know, Hey, great idea, Brad. Now you got to pull it off. Pivot. Pivot. So, <laughs> but, but you know what? It was, uh, we got a lot of publicity for it. And not all of it good, because here we are, the Cubby Bear, obviously named for the Cubs and the Bears. And people don't remember that the Bears, when I was growing up, when I was a young kid, my grandfather would take me to Wrigley Field to see the Bears play, see Dick Butkus. Mm -hmm. And uh, people don't remember that's why the Cubby Bear is the Cubby Bear. It's not just the Cubs. So here we are, the Cubby Bear. We're not even showing the Bears game. 
<laughs> okay. right. well, we're showing the Packer game. We got all these crazy Packer fans. We got the Steelers, the Browns. And people really didn't mind that you had the Steelers and Browns. But the Packers was the sore spot. You know, people were yeah. really people were really not cool with it. So we did we got some not so good publicity, but financially it was really it was really what we needed at that time to so you, so you, so you got the music going then you got then we got the uh the sports bar going what what were some of the bands between you didn't have the uh packer games but you had to rely on the music do you remember any of the bands that uh sure brought sure well okay so the plan was george's plan yeah was start off local and regional, which makes sense. In other words, there were all these smaller places that were doing these regional and local bands. Well, if we could put a couple of them together on a Friday, Saturday night, Friday night, you know, they could bring three, 400 people in. Tickets. So, right. And, you know, you let them keep the cover charge. So you're not looking at you're in a hole. You yeah. keep the bar, they keep the cover. And, you know, that really was a smart way to go about it. And so we started with bands like Paul Seabar and the Milwaukeeans. Yeah, oh, my God, yeah. Dick Holiday and the Bamboo Gang. Bamboo Gang. <laughs> of course, the great skanking lizard who will be, you know, forever. Legendary. <laughs> indelibly printed in my mind, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it was a lot of bands like that. It was, you know, nothing groundbreaking. But stuff that would appeal to the people, again, who were from the area, area states, who they'd seen these bands in college. Right. And, and these bands would come to their to Bloomington or they'd come to uh, Madison and people would fall in love with these bands. They'd become fans of them. Now they're back in Chicago. They're, they got their first job and they'd come and bring their friends and see these guys at the cubby bear and yeah. it, was, it was and it was and it was fantastic and it was a hit it was a success and we probably could have stopped right there right <laughs> but no and my life would have been a lot easier <laughs> <laughs> probably so, could have stopped could have stopped right there and just you know hung out and had a good time <laughs> so can't can't be well, you see, Kathy Richardson, Spies Who Surf, uh, that whole set, right? Yeah, I think this was predated Kathy. Okay, I'm just trying to get my bearings. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This is not. This is not Mike and Joe. And yeah. You know, what about I mean, all... uh, what about Talking Heads? I forget the uh, that offshoot band that they had. Were you part of that? No, no. I mean, it was it was really. It, it wasn't cover acts. It was mostly regional, you know, regional successful bands yep. who had developed a following that we could rely on that if we, as we looked at that calendar for the month of December, if we could rely on them to bring three, 400 people to the club, to the, to the bar, then we would love to plug them into a weekend slot. And what you hoped was out of eight weekend slots, five or six of them would be pretty good. And to be honest, 
you know, whether they were good bands or bad bands or whatever. Yeah. Didn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter. And, and, and some of them were very good. Like Paul Seabar was a very good band. Well, that's 80, 80, 88, 89 or so. 87, 87, 88, 89. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and then the Tribune came in, they bought from Wrigley in the eighties. WGN started to market the place that helped get George a little bit more comfortable having a cash flow to come in to be riskier on the larger bands that would come in. Is that how it went down? You know, I think that the biggest thing that happened that people really don't give enough credit to is uh, Harry Carey coming yeah. over from the White Sox to the Cubs and yeah. that whole Cub fan, Bud man. Yeah. Phenomenon phenomenon. Old style. Happened. Yeah. I mean, old style went out and, you know, Bud came in and of course we still carried old style, but, right. uh, but you know, like Miller couldn't get a Miller product, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know who was responsible for that. I don't know, but, but those wall paints look nice. <laughs> anyways yeah. so so uh you know it was so it was part that it was part that a uh, uh, part of part of it was uh something george had a lot to do with the neighborhood changing yeah okay all of a sudden uh the yuppies yeah started moving into and it became wrigleyville and, you know, George had quite a bit of property that he was in, in the midst of purchasing yeah. at that time around the area, kind of like the Ricketts are now. Yeah. George was the Ricketts of that time. Right. And, and we developed a friendship with the guys in the Cubs organization. We developed relationships. We started advertising in the ballpark, which he'd never done before. Mm -hmm. And we started advertising in their magazine, doing the Cubs convention. You know, we started becoming a part of the fabric of the Cubs. And I think that that was a big step in the right direction for us. That, and then, and then more and more, in other words, and at that time there was Murphy's, Sports Corner, Bernie's, Cubby Bear Slugger. Right. That's it. I mean, there were a couple of neighborhood bars down the street. But there was really, that's when people started to, say okay i can successfully open a business in that area you know i really need to look and target that so that just the whole neighborhood started to energize and i think that that and then you had, you had the all-star game in 1990 that that was kind of big yeah i mean the tribune bought the tribune bought the cubs that was the early 80s okay yeah. so then 84 was the first time the cubs had a great team since the early 70s okay since the end of ernie banks and billy williams and the star guys so 84 was the ryan sandberg traded for rick Sutcliffe years yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah okay and then and then they weren't so good the next couple of years but then 89 was the big year 89 was the year that they mark grace came on the scene greg maddox yep and, and they weren't expected to be a top team and they were and uh, Andre Dawson. Okay. And all of a sudden they were the, it was the biggest ticket in Chicago. And I, and I'm not saying that 
the Cubs weren't successful and the Cubby Bear wasn't successful before that. But this really took things to a new height mm-hmm. because now you weren't just busy on SIU day, you know, <laughs> crazy busy. Crazy yeah, 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 yeah. Now you were crazy busy almost every day. Like, like, you know, you had opening day in the past. Right. So when I first got there and f- from before I got there, opening day would be the big day. And then you'd have until summer, it'd be pretty thin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. you didn't have night games. I mean, September, and, September was gone. Mid to late August was gone. So once the kids went back to school, you yeah, were done. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you know, you had that those few months in the middle where you were packed. But then once 89 hit, you had the lights. 8888 was the first. Oh, night. yeah. Well, it rained. Yeah. It it rained it's exactly. Phil Bradley hit a, a leadoff homer off Rick Sutcliffe, and then the the skies opened up. <laughs> right. So the first night game turned out to be the, the official one turned out to be the next day. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you got lights, the neighborhoods taken off, and everything's happening. You know that's when it really started to happen, and that's when George, you know, said, "Okay, hey." You know we're doing pretty good with this. Let's yep. let's look at growing it and doing some bigger things and going after the competition, the bigger competition out there. Because remember, you know, one of the three or four at that time in the music industry nationally, Jam Productions was one of the three or four biggest production producing show companies in the United States yeah, and they dominated Chicago. They pretty much pick and choose any band they wanted, put them in any of their venues. They had the park West, which they owned themselves. They had cabaret Metro, which they had a, a partnership deal with Joe Shanahan. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they, they pretty much had the town on complete lockdown. So the question was, was there room for somebody else? to do something else that they weren't. The idea was never to go against jam. Yeah. The idea was, is there something they're not doing that we could do successfully and make some money under the radar, under the radar, under three, which is where I, what I do best. (laughs) But at that time, (laughs) but at that time I was pretty good at under the radar. Yeah. 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 You know, because I was under the radar and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't well, hard to stay. Well, there was a couple new radio stations popping up then, right? There were new radio stations popping up. The thing that, that, that Jam primarily did and what Metro primarily did was what at the time was called alternative music, alternative rock. I just remember, I mean, the, the one story that sticks in my mind is, you know, and you like to think of yourself as after all these years that, you, you know, you know a little bit about music, you yeah. know, and you're, you're a pretty good judge of talent, you know? Right. And so at the time, George used to rent out the space above the cubby bear to bands to practice. Okay. Lo- lovely was, facility, lovely facility up there. Lo- yep. Lovely, lovely facility. And, you know, we would have a, when we first started doing national acts, we'd have like, let's say a jazz act or something. Ripping and there'd be piece. these, right. And there'd be, right. There'd be these loud band warming up upstairs and you'd be like, 
man, I wish these bands would be quiet. And you talk to them and, and you hear them play and you think, man, this band's just terrible. Ah, smashing pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> we pulled the plug on Billy Corgan. We pulled the plug on Billy Corgan. You know, so every time you think you know something, I think of that and I go, yeah, you know, we really got lucky. I can't, I, I can't, believe, <laughs> I can't believe they never played. Right. We couldn't we couldn't cultivate that relationship, right? The guy's <laughs> the guy's practicing right upstairs as a tenant. <laughs> you know, that should have been the first guy we got. But I mean it, it was uh it was the first big jazz act. You you put a big deposit down, decent guarantee. Oh yeah, that was we, that we was had a bike bi- <laughs> we're all dressed in ties, which is a freak show in and of itself. And everybody's sitting down proper. All the suburban uh, parents are coming in. And then, wow. Oh, yeah. Get up there and tell those motherfuckers we got a (laughs) real band going down here. I just, you know, I remember that relationship. That was one of the first relationships we developed with radio was. uh, It's funny because I was watching a documentary the other day on, on Kenny G. And it reminded me, because they brought up a lot of the names that played at the Cubby Bear back then. And they talked about on the documentary, WNUA, and how that was a new format, smooth jazz. Mm -hmm. So we had the idea to do something called the Smooth Jazz Concert Series. And we made a deal with WN. It was good for them because, remember, they're playing this nameless, faceless music on their station. And they're trying to get the audience to be attached to these artists and to, you know, uh, and to have some uh, loyalty to the station. So they were very supportive of us bringing in, you know, the Rippingtons and many of the other acts that were big on WNUA. I remember yeah. I want, I want to play in shortstop on their softball team. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the kind of relationship we had with them was we were, right, right. you know, we were, had a close, good relationship and, it was somebody we could work with where we didn't have to pay for advertising. They provided all the free advertising on the radio. So in other words, you felt better about giving a a guaranteed amount of money to one of these bands that you'd never seen before because you knew you had the power of the station, which was I think third or fourth in the city at that point, you know? Mm -hmm. So the, you had the power of them pushing these shows. So while it, it, there was some risk associated with it, really no, because they were going to make sure that it was a success because it would make them look bad if right, it right. didn't have a big crowd. So it was one of the first times we stretched out and went for national acts and worked with a big radio station. And uh, it, it, it really set the precedent and it gave us the formula, the template of this is how we need to do this. Because look, we're not going to do a hundred thousand dollar ad buy on the radio. We're not jam productions where we're doing 500 shows over this three month period. And we can afford to spend this much budget on advertising. We didn't have an advertising budget. We had an ad and a reader. Okay. <laughs> that got bigger every year as we got bigger, but it started as a really small ad. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, 
and, and you had the, and you had a big graphic design team with scotch oh, yeah. tape and a copier oh. machine. <laughs> oh yes, we had a crack design team. Yeah, you know, I never thought back then we should get you know hire interns or get you know like somebody <laughs> that like does graphic design in college and wants some college credit. I wish we'd have thought of that back then, but no, we were. We were the cut and paste kings. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it was, it was, so NUA really was the, uh, that was the impetus for, that really led to, for instance, like I would see the, or George, we would see the relationship that Jam had with XRT, which was obviously the most influential music station in Chicago back then. Yeah. And they and they promoted and sponsored all these jam shows all over Chicago. And I thought, man, it's going to be really hard to crack, you know, and get yeah. them to work with us. It's going to be really, really hard because, you know, these guys spend all this money with them, number one, and they have this relationship for years with them. Okay. But can we go do what they're doing with, xrt can we go do that with these other stations that are also you know big music stations but aren't currently sponsoring any shows nobody's bringing in their artists so that was really the 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 plan was to be eclectic to give ourselves you know a number of different genres of music to choose from and then find radio stations that'll work with us that'll promote these things for free so because i'm not going to that man for money hey that's man his money i am not asking him for you want to do what you want to advertise on what that's so, a rough that's a rough sunday morning phone call yeah, that's not. I'm not having that conversation. So, how do we do? How do we do? <laughs> exactly. And and you want to know something? We did pretty darn well. Okay. So was, was, we, was jazz <laughs> first, then country? How did that go down? Jazz was before country. Okay. Jazz was the template. I saw Randy Travis in concert, and I said. I remember telling a friend or whoever I was talking to, I said, this is the next big thing. This can cross over. Like, in other words, like he's not just some twangy country artist yeah, yeah. who, you know, this is a guy or this music that they're the, the way the country music was evolving. You could sell it in Chicago where before no chance. Yeah. It was way too Texas-y, twangy, Oklahoma, you know. Uh, now, they're playing songs that you could hear on any pop radio station. And it would fit perfectly. In other words, like, had the Eagles come along yeah. in the late 80s, early 90s, they would have fit in the country format yeah. of what those stations were what the country stations around the United States were playing. You know, the idea was no idea how big it would become, of course. Now, how big it continues to be. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought? Who'd, 
never would have dreamed it. Never would have yeah. dreamed. But I thought, hey, I went to George. And I said, you know, I think we might have something here, you know. And I said, I'm going to try to negotiate a deal with this US-99, who was an up-and-coming station at the time, who later became the number one station in all of Chicago. But at the time, probably was top 20, you know. Yeah. And uh, get them to help us. In other words, have them talk to the record labels in Nashville and say, hey, I know you've not, you haven't considered Chicago as a place to break your country artists before this. But you know what? We're starting to get an, you know, a lot of listeners. We're starting to get a big response. Now, granted, most of the people were in the suburbs. Right. Okay. But we're starting to get a big response. And, you know, we really think that this can work here. So they helped us sell these, you know, I would fly down to Nashville and meet with the artists, meet with the agents. And all of a sudden, after we did two or three shows, first show was Pam Tillis, Tillis. Mel Tillis's daughter. And it was, uh, I remember it was in April and it didn't do great. I mean, I think we had three or 400 people, but you know, right. we didn't get crushed. And US 99 was a great partner to work with. And all of a sudden, then, then we had Trisha Yearwood. Right. Who we had her the week that her first song went number one. So the timing was just, you know, lucky, but, you know, really great. And then the, the big one, one of the big ones that pushed us over the top was Vince Gill. That's the one. Vince Gill, which was in May, so a month and a half into what we were trying to do. We had Vince Gill on a Sunday night. So you'd think like a Sunday night, not a great night to do a show. But if it's somebody that people really want to see, it doesn't matter what night of the week it is. You know, right. so so we brought Vince Gill and it sold out. He was on some country radio show the next week in Nashville, and he talked about standing on the stage and seeing the marquee of Wrigley Field and how cool it was. And the place to play in Chicago was the Cubby Bear. And that blew us up. There's no there's no awards. There's no Without that, that was really what put us on the map. And what? And you gave him a Cubby Bear jersey. I think he was wearing it. Uh, at, at he was the wearing time. it. And the George said, "Where? Why are you giving away my product?" <laughs> <laughs> that, hey, that'll be twenty dollars, buddy. <laughs> I think he made Vince Gill pay him before he left. <laughs> so that's all going great, right. and now we're bringing in. Travis Tritt. We're bringing it. We're starting to bring in people that we got no business having. Okay. These guys should be playing theaters, but there really wasn't a place for them unless they played Holiday Star Theater in Maribel. Yeah. There really wasn't a place for them. There wasn't a Rosemont Theater yet. You know, there really wasn't a place for them in Chicago to play. And they're hearing how cool Cubby Bear is. So they're, they're into the idea. But of course, these guys are way out of our budget. No, yeah. way, we can no way we can afford them. 
Yeah. So they either got to cut us a good deal or we got to do them on a Monday and Tuesday night. We got to charge more than we probably should be charging. Should. Should. (laughs) But the idea, but, you know, if we had a, uh, I'd love to be able to say that we had a, uh, uh, you know, a budget and an idea. Right. You know, uh, we had a, we had it all written down. We didn't. All by the seat of our pants. Okay. Day to day by the seat of our pants. The best you had was that that pamphlet called Polestar that says, well, they did this much here. Yeah. Yeah, Which really we found out meant nothing. So, (laughs) you know, it really didn't. I mean, so really what mattered was, you know, did you have radio station support? Yeah. You know, in a city like Chicago and that could get the people to come out. So, the idea was break even at the door, make your money at the bar. We would get, you know, we'd give the artists a deal where they'd make a certain amount of guarantee, but then they'd get a hundred percent of what came in through the door. So regardless, if, if we sold out, they were going to make a whole lot of money. And th- so that was appealing to them. But really the most appealing thing was the place was cool. Yeah. In, in their eyes. You know, and, and, and like you said, there wasn't a lot of places. And in their rider, isn't there a certain mile radius at uh, right? So Marivelle was the only closest one, right? So, so in other words, here's the third largest market in the United States, and nobody countries playing there. <laughs> now you come up, and you're like, every other week you're having a big country name. You are saviors in in Nashville's eyes. You're a place where they can now they can break their artists and they can sell records in, in your market. And it was it, it was truly as as much as you get in the cutthroat music world, booking world, as much as a love affair right. as you'll see with a with a with a club. The cubby bear had with nashville it was you know you went down to nashville in those days and you said you were with the you were you couldn't buy a drink all night okay you were <laughs> you were beloved they're carrying you around they're carrying you around because you're doing something that no one had ever tried to do and look we could have fallen flat on our face we could have yeah. failed yeah but we got lucky and we had a great radio station and we had the, we had the, the luck of great timing that country was exploding right when we started doing it. Right. So, exactly. I, mean, it I mean, it's like you hit the lottery, you yeah. know, cherry, cherry, okay. cherry. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to say, you know, I went to, you know, I, I, I went to the, liquor store and i bought these lottery tickets you know because i'm a genius and it was the you know (laughs) right right, no it really was lucky yeah we were trying different things that was one of the things we tried and it was the one that worked the best well brad brad here's what i think man i think we this is i don't know if you're into it but this is definitely a multi-part podcast we're I think we're going to stop. We're, I think, middle of 1990, we got jazz and country going. I'm going to try to find some of the old picks 
uh, around, and I'll put them in this video to uh, show. If you well, got I, any, I think, send them over to me. Yeah, no, I think the rest of the story, I think the other part of the story is, you know, how we then went to, the, from there, how we went to the next level. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know because, because it, now we started to infringe on the turf of, you know, the biggest, toughest guy in town. And how Party we, and Jerry. Yeah, and how we and how we, you know, for at least a year or so we won. You know, <laughs> so it's so you know it's it's uh but I would sit on a bar stool with you and talk. I'm sure if you were here or I was there, we could you and I could tell stories that we probably can't tell on here. In fact, <laughs> we for sure can't tell on here because my kids might listen. <laughs> and mine. <laughs> <laughs> So we're gonna but, we're gonna but, keep those to ourselves. Well, this will be our first edit. You know, we're we're all right. We'll we'll, we'll put it up. We'll check it out, and then we'll go from uh, 1990 to 91. Because even though it's only a year, that the Chicago music scene then, I mean, wicked crazy, wicked crazy. And uh, and uh, thanks to George, I had this this amazing oh, yeah. apart amazing apartment that used to be a firehouse. That was converted into a condo, and my roommate was the biggest rock star in Chicago. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for a teaser <laughs> teaser for next time. Beautiful, <laughs> the, prin All the right, prince, brother. the Prince of Eddie Street, the uh, Prince of Eddie Street. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brad. <laughs> hey, Brad. Thanks for coming on to episode one of the Brad Altman Tales. <laughs> oh, hey, Pete. It's it's the it's the pre it's the Pete, Brad, and George Tales. Yes, Cause, yes, because. I've heard a lot of people take credit for the success of the Cubby Bear. And I can tell you that the three guys that were sitting in the basement in the in the flooding and, and the, the, uh, the rats, <laughs> the rats floating by. And the rats floating by. There were three guys, George <laughs> Lucas, you and, and me. It, so <laughs> and it was George and it was George's money. <laughs> and it was risk. George's it was George's money and none of it happens. Right, right. You know. No. No, God bless. God bless. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Chicago Music Back in the Day. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you'd like to hear about in the upcoming shows. We are part one of the Brad Altman Tales. Oh, can't wait for part two. Cue the music. Brad, 